Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. And uh, we have been in a series called After the Encounter, people, uh, figures in the Old Testament that have had amazing encounters with God. The first week, Kristen talked about Noah. Two weeks ago, I spoke about Moses. And today, I want to speak on David. And uh, we probably know a lot about David, but let me just kind of recap a few things about his life. David is known, first of all, as a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep. And as a young, young anointed man, by Saul, or Samuel, one day becomes king, and David patiently awaited his ascent to the throne. We know that he had influence and skills, and they continued to grow as he faced so many challenges. And uh, just like any other leader has to go through, that there must be challenges as you ascend upward. And David's honorable actions reveal his integrity, his commitment, uh, to the legitimate holder of the throne. And he refused, though, to usurp the authority of King Saul. But we see David's greatness and influence vastly increased around him as he stayed committed to God's higher principles. He kept his heart close to God. Yes, he struggled like every single person in this room with sin of his own, very human and understandable. But I want to point out an encounter that David had with God today that not only gave him great victory, but also to the nation of Israel. And so you can't talk about David without talking about his encounter with Goliath. But I'm not going to touch on that story much today. I'm going to take you to another story inside of Scripture that I believe will show us a clear encounter that did change David and changed us in who we are as God's people today. In 2 Samuel, David had an encounter with the presence of God that changed Israel forever. So if you have your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you don't have that, it'll be on the screen. But it says this, verse 1, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by name, the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were cele- excuse me, celebrating with all of their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the fleshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day this place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, 
And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened calf. That was a long journey because that took a long time, right? Every six steps. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. I want you to capture this. Then he got a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person of the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half na <clears throat> excuse me, naked in the view of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his household when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will become and be humiliated in my own eyes by these slave girls you spoke of. I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. That is really a powerful portion of scripture that I want to read all of it so that you capture what I'm about ready to speak about today. And so I want to show you a few pictures a few weeks ago. I'll take that water. Thank you. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, uh, I got the opportunity to go to Israel. Many of you know that. I got to go to the city of David and it was amazing. This is the first picture is the city of David looking out across that you see across the valley here. The next picture is another picture. Solomon's temple would have been in this upper portion here coming down. Most All this rock formation is what has been excavated throughout the years as well. Uh, the next picture I have is actually just beyond this where the caves were, Hezekiah's tunnels, where David defeated the Jebusites. I got to walk through these. This was absolutely amazing. You think along this journey, the same footpaths as the army of Israel going through and defeating the Jebusites. David was on a journey to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. He was trying to do something that his predecessor had not done. His predecessor had ruled without glory. The Ark of the Covenant had not been present for some 20 years, and David makes up his mind, I'm going to bring back that glory. That's what he established in his heart. I'm going to bring it 
back and put it in its rightful place. Now, listen, if the things that were most precious to us, if we didn't have them, say our son or our daughter, within a few hours, we would be calling law enforcement, wouldn't we? 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant was not where it should have been. 20 years, it was outside of where God really wanted it to be. And what is all about as you look at this is God found a man in David that prioritized him. That's what it's about. It's about priority. David prioritized God. I want you to understand that today. God wants us to prioritize him. Like God is saying, I found a man who will put me first. I found a man that won't be satisfied with position without my presence. I found a man that understands my heart, and he is a man after my heart. I found a guy who writes me poetry, who sings songs on the mountaintop to me, and who dances when nobody is looking. I am going after a king like that. In the text today, we're watching David go after the heart of God. He has been king of Judah, now Israel. He's been anointed three times. He'd been anointed by Samuel, told he was going to be king. He'd been anointed by Judah because Judah and Israel have now split. They've separated from one another, and the people had a falling out. Let me just tell you something. Without God, you will always have a falling out. Without God to hold our families together today, let me tell you something. They will fall apart. Can I hear an amen? Without God to hold this church together, we will fall apart. Amen? Without God in your life, in your business, in your home, and in our communities, we will fall apart. And let me tell you something. The things that you and I are seeing in this nation is because we have left God out of the plan. And it is falling apart. Anytime you leave God out of your life, it will begin to fall apart and disintegrate. You think, well, you know, if, if, it, if I just mean well, it'll go right. No, that's not always the case. That's what's wrong with our marriages many times. You thought if you just mean well, everything is just going to go well. You're still going to have problems, right? You thought if you had a degree, you'd get the job. Everything will go good. You're still going to have a problem. Problems strengthen you. Problems perfect you. Problems empower you. Problems build up a relationship. You've got to know this. At the intersection of your problems and failures is the place that God intervenes for your salvation today. Amen? That's the place where he comes and intervenes in our heart and our life. What does the Ark of the Covenant represent? There's a picture of the Ark that you're going to see. It represents the presence of God. Well, what's in the Ark? Well, first of all, it's made of wood, but it's overlaid with gold. And it's the expression of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Rather, know this, that what's being concealed is going to be revealed. And it's through Jesus. Its contents comprise the law of Moses, symbolic of the fact that the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's the, inside of there is also the rod of Aaron that budded to give us a hint that the fact that God will bring life out of death. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Inside also is a pot of manna to let us know that Christ is the bread of life, which we just broke just a moment ago. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and perished, but I am the true bread that cometh out of heaven, he said. All of that was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. The two angels you see on both sides are pointed to a place where the Shekinah glory would rest. 
the Shekinah glory would come. They would shoot out of the tent of the temple. And you see, because this is the mercy seat. They had the, they had the lost ark of the covenant. And David says, under my leadership, I'm going to bring back the glory to its rightful place. This is a good mission. But just because you mean good doesn't mean that things go right, right? How many of you have been driving in your car and your car, your, your phone is on and yet it's thinking, right? And how many of you hate the moment when your phone is buffering? How many of you hate the moment, right? That moment when you're driving and you're like, I gotta get to the right place, but my phone is spinning here. I mean, right? Or you're on your, your, your laptop or whatever it may be. Whatever it may be, you're like, my goodness, 30,000 people are following David to Jerusalem, dancing and shouting about how great he is. Then they, they started buffering there. We see the Bible says, he had built a new cart. He brought a, he's bringing a new plan back to uh, the, the glory, back to where its rightful place should be. He had built a cart, designed it to travel. I don't know if you've thought of this, is even as you're looking at your phone, you're like, wait a minute, my phone says at this moment, I'm supposed to turn right, but I'm rerouting. Something is changing. It's a 10-mile stretch he has to go. He has 30,000 people behind him, and everybody is looking at this new cart. Everybody is bragging. They're dancing, and then all of a sudden, they hit a pothole in the middle of the road. Have you ever hit a pothole in the middle of your life? Right? You ever been going on the journey, and you think that you're headed the right way, and you begin to hit something in your life, and it sets you off course just when you're about ready to step into your destiny, just when you're about to finally show the devil who's boss, what happens is you know that there's a promise from God, but the ox slipped, the cart moved, the Ark of the Covenant started sliding, and Uzzah tried to save it. He touched it, and he died. He touched the ark, and, and David started rerouting and buffering at this point, just when everything was going so great. You know what I hate about buffering? It always happens at the worst possible moment, right? I'm supposed to get there, but I'm rerouting. And you're shaking your phone, and you're not saying too many kind words at it at that point, right? It's that point, right? And you see that in the middle of this, David, there is something taking place in the heart of David. They got to the threshing floor of Ornan and the ox tripped. Somebody in this room today is in the place that you are tripping. Look at your neighbor and ask him, are you tripping? Turn to your other neighbor and say, you might be tripping. Because David's trying to reconcile God to his people. And he's trying to reconcile the Ark of the Covenant back to Zion. This is so vital and so important that David gets this. Could it be that God has ordered the slips in our life today? That order my steps in your word, dear Lord, teach me. Yeah, everything's going to be great. And then there is a slip that takes place and we can't see it. But, but, but God does order slips in our life. Does God order layoffs? Does God order heartbreaks? Does God order disappointments? Does God order mayhem? Does God order funerals? 
And not now you see in this moment that Uzzah reaches out to try to fix it, to catch the ark. But when God orders something, nobody can stop it. When God orders it and God killed Uzzah, the one who tried to fix what he had ordered that day, he was trying to save the ark of the covenant. But that's like trying to save God. And any time we try to get our hands in the middle of things, what God wants to accomplish, I'm going to tell you, there will probably be a moment of reckoning in our hearts that God is trying to say, I am God and I know how to do this. And I am bigger than all of your problems. You know, kind of like the stupid stuff that Sarah did with Hagar. Right? Trying to bring in another plan that's not God's plan because she didn't know if really God was going to be enough in that circumstance. See, in our lives, we have man-made carts as well. There are things that we have put in there, all the stuff we do for ourselves, by ourselves, and that's when things go haywire because if you could be your own God, you and I wouldn't need God. And sometimes God is revealed in the slip of the moment that we think, God, where are you? But it's at that moment that God is there, and if we will just let him do his work and his will in us, he's able to accomplish it. That's why he says, I'm a very present help in time of trouble, in time of need. And, and if, listen, let me just tell you something. If you never get in trouble, you're never going to have an experience with God. Are you with me, church, today? How, how are you going to know he's your healer if you never get sick? How are you going to know if he's your provider if you never get hungry? How are you going to know that he's the way maker if you never get lost in your life? Amen. He is God and he is able to accomplish it. But God does send slips into our life. And he does it for a reason to see how we'll react and to find out in our heart truly if we believe that he is God and is able to rescue us. And God starts rerouting his life and all of a sudden, David, who was leading all the people and all the people were singing and dancing and everything was good, lost confidence in himself and his plan. He just left it in the house, the word of God says, in the house of Obed-Edom. He lost confidence along the way. He leaves it there, and things go haywire. But you got to see, David said, you know what? I don't really care. Let it go to Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom had no more right to the Ark of the Covenant than the man on the moon. Because Obed-Edom was a Gittite. He, was, he had no right to have the very presence of God. But because David had lost confidence himself and in his mission, God moves. This is amazing. God moves into the house of the Gittite and starts blessing the Gittites as if they were Israelites. Because God will bless whoever will open up the door for him. Church, I want you to know something today. God will bless your life if you open up the door of your heart to him. He will bless your life. When it came into the house of Obed-Edom, God started blessing it like never before. And God is upset because of what Uzzah did. And David is upset because in this moment, why did you do this? See, sometimes when we get mad at God, we think that if we just stick our lips out and pout long enough, we have a tantrum that God will change his mind. God says, I don't honor your little tantrum. I'm tougher and I'm bigger than you are, and my plan will sustain your life. But God starts blessing the house of Obed-Edom, and it's amazing. 
David comes to this moment, like many of us come in our hearts many times, that we don't care. Or we don't think that we care about the very things that are important to God. And David learns this valuable lesson. And you see that the house of Obed-Edom, because there was a carelessness that comes, that God blesses the one who opens up the door to him. Here we see God says, if he won't receive this blessing, I'm going to give it to somebody else anyways. So if you want me to bless you, would you open up your life? I'll do it. I'll prepare a table and let you be a spectator of the meal that I meant for you. And all of a sudden, David begins to humble himself at this moment. He says, I want it back. I want to bring it back to its rightful place. I do care. I do care. I'm not sure who I'm preaching to today. But I believe there are people in this room, maybe you haven't cared about the presence of God, but God's given you a renewed interest today, and you do care. I do care. Can you say that with me? I do care. Come on, I do care. I want the presence of God brought back to the right place in my heart and my life and into the church and into my home and into the, my business and into my campus. I do care. You know, I don't, I don't have time to teach on all of this today, but God never wanted to dwell on the back of a cart. He wanted to rest on the shoulders of his priests. That's where he wanted to be, the rightful place. And you understand as you come, there's three things that I want to talk about quickly today, three things that need to change that changed in David. If we are ever to see the fullness of his glory come back because we desperately need that more than anything else, right? His presence and his glory matters most. Can I hear it? Amen. There's three things that David changed. Number one, if you're taking notes, he changed his plan. Can you say plan? He said, this time we will get it back. I, I'm not going to put it on another car. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to change my plan. I'm going to bring it back to its rightful place. I'm going to put it on the back of the shoulder. I'm going to put it on the shoulders of the priests that are coming to carry it. We're going we're to make contact with God. We're not going to let anything stand in between us and God anymore. This time we're going to be personally involved this time. I'm going to have the weight of the glory on my shoulder. I'm not going to get an ox to bear the weight of the glory any longer. I'm going to bear the weight of the glory. This time, I'm not going to take the position and not do the job. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put the weight on my shoulder, on the weight of the priest's shoulders, and I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to stand up. I don't know who it is, but you've got to accept the weight of the glory of God. You can't have the glory and not take the weight of his glory. If you follow me, say amen today. Amen. David changed his plan. Today inside of this room, there are people that are here. God's asking you, would you change the plan of your life? You thought it was a certain way and it's not working out for you. You need to change your plan. Number two, he changed his pace. Can you say pace? For the Bible says when they put the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priest, the Bible said they started pacing. And if you read it in its original language, it means big steps. It means big strides. God says, if I'm going to do this, you can't be taking these little bitty baby steps any longer. He said, if you're going to carry what I want you to carry, you need to change the pace of your life, which means you need to take big steps to fall in line with what I want to do. Can I hear an amen today? 
You can't just keep going itty bitty baby steps. It's now you've got a new pace in your life. And I want you to take these large steps. I want you to lift your legs and walk towards your destiny like you've never done before. That's what it's going to take. And that's what it's going to take for our own lives. You're going to have to change the pace of your life. Amen? Some of you in this room, you've been taking baby steps towards God. God says, I want you to take big steps and I want you to lift your knees before me and take steps towards me and open your heart like you have never done before. You got to change your pace. The body of Christ is going to have to change their pace in these days. Amen? You got to do it. God says, I'm walking, but I want you to come with me. You need to take a big step towards him. There, there's people that are here that you're in a season that God is saying, hey, I want you to take larger steps towards me. I want you to come and fall hard after me. I want somebody to take a big step in the direction of God. I want you to take big paces um, and, and uh, that you're going to quit feeling sorry for yourself. Amen? Uh, people in Christ, you've got to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Amen? God doesn't honor your temp temper tantrums. That's about you. That's not about God. I'm offended. I'm always offended. But God, I want all that you have for me. I'm going to live with a critical spirit. God doesn't honor your temper tantrum. God's saying, will, will you change the pace of your heart? the pace of your life and would you come after me and would you fall hard after me and leave those things back there I'm no longer there I'm moving forward in a new direction it's time to take a, a new step towards him well, God's like saying you know one minute I told you to take big steps I want you to take these big steps the next minute I told you to praise God and you praise the Lord but what you got to do is learn to take big steps and praise the Lord at the same time that God I bless your name God, I bless you, and I, and I praise you, and, and I want to just encourage us as a church just to continue to take large steps towards God today. I want, I want you to come. When we come and we worship the Lord, I want you to get out of your comfort zone and raise your hands sometimes. Not to me. We lift our hands in the sanctuary to him. Amen? We clap our hands. Amen? We sing, we open our mouths, we lift our voice before him. You need to take big steps towards God and you need to praise him at the same time. And that's what David began to do as 30,000 people were behind him watching him. I'm going to take a new step towards him. Yes, Lord, I want you to come. I want you to come and break out in my life in this new season. But I'm going to take a big step and I'm going to praise you. So he had to change his plan. He had to change his pace. And so number three, he had to change his position. You see, the first time the people were praising God, but, but you don't hear where David was praising him. But this time, David got out in front. He started praising God so much that he started throwing stuff off and giving God the glory. And the Lord said, when you throw your whole self at your blessing, I'm, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. I'm going to pour out blessing that you don't have room enough for it. Because you and I need to throw everything we got at God. Amen? We need to throw everything you've got. Wait a minute. David, the Bible says that David started dancing. 
The Bible said he danced out of his clothes into his linen ephod. He danced. And the Bible says his wife looked out the window and saw him and got embarrassed because he had stripped off all that outer garment. You see that inside of me, here was David's heart. I'm going to throw everything at you, God. And God is looking for you and me to throw everything at him. It's not one foot in. It's not one foot out. It's everything that we've got that if you and I would throw it into God and we would throw it towards him and stop being so reserved as the people of God and stop being people that are so worried about what other people think around us that we just stand there sometimes dumbfounded, but that we would take big steps. We would learn to praise him and throw our whole heart and our whole self towards him, that God would show up. This may mess up some of your theology. Some of you were raised in very liturgical churches where all you did was you came and you stood there. Well, listen, that's not this church. This church, we take big steps towards the Lord. We praise the Lord. We lift our hands before him. Well, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, welcome to your new life in Jesus Christ. We read these stories and we think, well, that's just good for David. Well, that's just good for what they did in the New Testament. No, you and I are called to emulate what they did. Because why? It's about the glory of Jesus. It wasn't the glory of King David. It was the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? I just wonder in this church today, how many of you are willing to throw yourself wholeheartedly towards him, towards the Lord today? towards what he wants to do and what he wants to accomplish. Sometimes we're just so reserved. We just get so reserved. I was only brought up this way. Listen, when you and I come in contact with the presence of the Lord, it changes us. And you're not going to act like you used to act. You're not going to behave like you used to act. You're not just going to be able to stand there anymore with your hands looking in shock as you come to worship. You're going to lift your hands in the sanctuary. And you're going to bless his name. And you're going to give him thanks for what he has done and what he wants to accomplish. God, I'm going to throw everything at you. And I believe as this word goes deep in the soil of your heart, it's going to bring up fruit. And I I want you, as you go from this message today, I pray that you go back and you read this story. Because there is so much in this story that we couldn't even get to. But we see after this encounter... David experienced the physical representation of God's presence and blessing. But it wasn't until he got God's presence and his glory to the right place. Because it was more than just David. He knew it was for the whole nation of Israel. That we got to bring back the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord to its rightful place. Oh my God, church. The church of Jesus Christ needs to bring back the glory, the presence of the Lord's rightful place rightful place again that we get so fearful of. Like I said a couple weeks ago, we come to the mountain, we walk away from the mountain like they did in the Old Testament because we're so fearful of what God wants to accomplish. If his glory doesn't come, we're in trouble. And some are satisfied week in and week out, which is plain Jane Christianity, not me. We need the glory of the Lord. It won't be because of my preaching. It won't be because of whatever happens on this stage, the stage over there, wherever it may be. It is about his presence. And as if his presence does not go before us, we're in trouble. 
don't care what kind of programs we have in this church. If it gets in the way of Jesus, it needs to be taken out. That's just it. David was heavy with God's majesty, his splendor, beauty, and honor, which caused David to restore honor, worship, and fame to God. Church, it is about him. It is only about him. Only about Jesus. When you and I come in contact with him, we are changed people. David became a better worshiper. I don't know about you, but I want to become a better worshiper. David became a better leader. I want to become a better leader. How about you? And after David's encounter, he worshiped God with humble surrender that impacted the nation of Israel. I say that line because I want you to understand that. What we do in worship is not show. That's prideful. Come and look at me. Come look how I do this. Wow, look at us. No, no, no. David had humble surrender before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and so should we. That David was humbled to the point of saying, I really don't care what other people think of me anymore. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna give the King of Kings my praise and my glory. That's humble surrender, man. That's humble surrender. That means you and I gotta surrender our hearts. We gotta surrender our lives because our flesh tries to hold us back every time. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.